And please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you stand, I'll be reading verses 36 through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 36 through 40. As we finish out this really challenging and yet powerful passage on undistracted devotion to Christ and really look at some applications then to that to our singles who are such a dear and, and precious part of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 20, uh, 36. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Please be seated. Now, in January, I had the privilege of speaking to our newly formed singles ministry, which we had named rather awkwardly the Singles Ministry. Uh, I do think we've come up with maybe a bit of bit better title now. I think we're working on like Dulas, Servants, something like that, but a little better than The Singles. I spent the evening talking about awkward things, particularly the barriers that keep singles from being married. However, I did promise them that I would spend considerable time on the blessings of being single when I came to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 40, and I have tried to deliver on that promise. Now, I would like to end with two additional exhortations from the text. We see those, an exhortation to one who is betrothed to be married and an exhortation to one who has had a husband die. And then I would like to spend the rest of the time really talking about different ways that singleness is to be pursued. And in light of this teaching, if you are single, how do you press forward? How do you consider the nature of, of being joyful and satisfied in singleness, yet perhaps pursuing marriage if you don't have that gift? Because singleness provides a unique opportunity to secure undistracted devotion to Christ, but, but because everyone does not have the gift of singleness, it is important to consider how and when a transition to marriage should be made. Again, this morning, singleness provides a unique opportunity to secure undistracted devotion to Christ, but because everyone does not have the gift of singleness, it is important to consider how and when a transition to marriage should be made. Singleness has great benefit, but for most, it is a temporary condition. Now, we've seen four blessings of singleness in verses 25 through 40. Singleness simplifies distress. Singleness encourages eternal perspective. Singleness reduces concern, and singleness promotes devotion. That really is the summing up of all of the principles, and really the summing up of the Christian life, that verse 35, if you drop your eyes there, that Paul is seeking to promote undistracted devotion to the Lord. And whether you are married or single, that is the goal, that we would have the purest possible pursuit of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that if you are single, there are less distractions. Even the things that are good, the distractions of marriage, the right concerns of husband or wife and children, if you are single, you don't have those. And so you can press on with greater single-mindedness in the service of Christ. Yet, for both those who are married and those who are single, there is only one pursuit, and that is undistracted devotion to Christ. That is where we all are to be. That is who we are as a church. So many things to distract us, are there not? So many things to draw our minds away from our Savior and Lord. And yet, 
we must pursue him with reckless abandon. For to us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, as we finish out these verses, 36 through 40, Paul provides two additional exhortations to the goodness of being single. Not really, not new principles really or new benefits, but just two additional ways or, or places you will find yourself in life that being single is good. One is a relationship of a man to his betrothed, and another is for a woman who becomes a widow. In each case, the principle is the same. Remain as you are, because your current state of singleness provides the best opportunity for undistracted devotion to Christ. However, to get married is also right and good. This is what Paul's been saying all along. There's special benefits and blessings to singleness, particularly to the Corinthians, and yet to be married is right and good. Not everyone is gifted to be single. Now, even in saying those two conditions, a man who is betrothed and a woman who has become a widow, if you have the ESV translation, that makes sense to you. But I read the New American Standard where it sounds a lot like you have a father-daughter relationship, and that's how the New American Standard has translated that. So we need to walk through that a bit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. Right? There's other times, other places, take our SI classes, our LBI classes, where we'll dig deeply into textual transmission and the uh, preservation of text, things like that. However, right, this section does clearly introduce some sort of special case involving virgins. Remember, we discussed already this Greek word parthenos, which the ESV translated betrothed, the New American Standard, and really all the other translations said virgin, right? And yet, We've used it generally up to this point. That is, any woman who had not been involved in sexual intimacy with a man, a virgin, that's been general. All those who are in that state, the benefits of singleness apply to them. But it's very clear in verse 36 that there's a unique situation going on, right? Still involves a virgin, and yet the, the context draws us to make a conclusion that there's a unique kind of virgin that's being mentioned here, either it is a father who has a virgin daughter, or it is a man who is betrothed to a virgin. It is one of those two. And so, therefore, the context drives us to seeing the word virgin here in a unique sense. That is, in one of those two relationships. The NASB, the New American Standard, is the only major modern translation that translates this passage as referring to a father and his virgin daughter. The ESV, the New King James, the NIV, and even the King James for the most part, all right, refer to a man in a betrothal relationship with a virgin. Right? Now, I, as you will see as I work my way through this, I would hold that the best understanding of this is that this is a betrothal relationship, and I want to give you the reasons why. Then I'm just going to walk my way through the text. Right? The reasons to see this passage as addressing a man betrothed to a virgin, not a father with a virgin daughter, uh, are fourfold. One, context. The context has been talking about unmarried men and women. Parents, fathers, are nowhere to be found in this text. They've not been mentioned. Verse 36, if you look there, it says, but if any man thinks he is acting. The, the word man or, or the, the reference to men in this chapter has been exclusively either to a married man or an unmarried man. And most closely in this context, the context is a, an unmarried man. Right, so I would say the context already dictates that we haven't changed frameworks, that we're still talking about unmarried men and women, and that fathers are not to be found in this context. It would have been very easy, and I think necessary, for Paul to say, that, to, to say the word father instead of any man. So to say, if any father thinks he is acting unbecomingly, but it doesn't say that. The text says, if any man. Additionally, the word daughter is not used here either. It's just the same word virgin. 
So the New American Standard adds that word, uh, any man towards his virgin daughter, but daughter's not in the text. So neither father nor daughter are anywhere in this text. It's just the same word over and over, virgin, which I think is now best understood as betrothed, the way that the ESV has stated it all along. Context, in general, is king. Right? Context drives how you translate a passage and how you understand a word. Also, the word unbecomingly, look again in verse 36, it says this man is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin. That's exactly what the text says. That word is a strong word. It usually has to do with wrestles, with, with lustfulness, or even just the good desire to be involved in sexual intimacy. So it's a very strange way to place a father towards his virgin daughter. All right? I just, the word is strong. Now, again, the way the New American Standard translates it, it doesn't come out that way, but I think the word used here is more appropriate for a young man who's considering marriage and strongly attracted to his betrothal partner, to the virgin that he is about to marry. Additionally, at the end of verse 36, right, the New American Standard says, let her marry. But that is a very unusual, you'll notice there is a note there next to that. Right, there's maybe one or two of the Greek manuscripts that exist, and there are hundreds of them. All right, remember that there are copies of the originals, which we do not have, the original autographs written by, the, by Paul. Right, we have copies of those, and almost none of the copies say, let her marry. The Greek word there is what the ESV says, let them marry. And even the copies we have, literally one or two of them are not well supported as those that are more accurate. So it was a stretch on the part of the New American Standard translators to use that word from a Greek manuscript that it was obscure. Right? All the other translations use the word, the, Greek, the verb there is, let them marry. In this case, pronouns matter. Not her, but them. All right? So it's not a, a third person singular, it's a third person plural, almost assuredly, and so that drives a lot of the understanding of the text. To say, let them marry certainly cannot be a father and his virgin daughter. You'd have to introduce the spouse somewhere in there, and it would be pretty strange. Right, so I think that drives largely the understanding of this. Uh, additionally, the ESV, NIV, as I mentioned, New King James, King James to a large extent, see this as a, translate it as a man and his betrothed virgin. Now, why would we see this? Why did the New American Standard translate it as a father and virgin daughter? There are a couple of reasons. One is, as we've said, the word parthenos is virgin, not betrothed, right? So in one way or another, you're going to have to have a special context here. They chose father-daughter as opposed to the betrothal relationship. Also, in verse 37, if you look there, the idea of a, of a man in a betrothal relationship keeping his betrothed is, is not, it's, it's a little strange way to put that. The idea of a man keeping his virgin daughter might apply better, but in either case, it's strange wording. Right? To keep his virgin is exactly what that says, and it's just difficult to understand. That could apply perhaps better to a father and his virgin daughter. Also then in verse 38, the verb for marriage right, generally means to give in marriage. Not always. Right? And the ESV has translated it to be married, but the NASB has translated it in the, in the transitive sense to give in marriage marriage. Right? So that could be a reason. That's a, that verb is often used to give in marriage, which would be strange for a man in a betrothal relationship. So there are, I mean, there are wrestles back and forth, right? but neither of these or none of this is an issue that should cause you to question the reliability of your Bible. You can hear me carefully. Everyone is looking at exactly the same Greek manuscripts. Nearly all of them have, the, have exactly the same words. So it's not like, well, what are the words? And we know what the words are. We know what the original, we know what Paul wrote. 
We just are having trouble translating it, and that's a problem in a lot of places, right? Translation is a huge issue, very important, that people know how to do this well. It's why we need people to study, to know their languages, to be able to make good translations. And so then we'd work our way through the various translation issues, and in this case, they came down in two very different places. That's somewhat unusual for the larger translations. Usually, they're pretty similar. But I would say this, and most importantly, the two principles that are given here, the idea of remain as you are and singleness is good, are exactly the same regardless. If it's a father-daughter, what is he saying? Remain as you are and singleness is good. If it's a man betrothed to a virgin, it's remain as you are and singleness is good. So as in all of the, even the translation issues in the Old and New Testaments, we find that there are no major doctrines that are changed, nothing about the person and work of Christ, and in general, and, and certainly there are no principles that are changed. Right here, right, we have a principle that Paul has been saying all along, that staying as you are is good if you're single, right, and yet getting married is, is right and good also in the sight of God. So I'm going to walk this through I'm going to read the New American Standard, but then I'm going to give you the ESV translation as well because I think that's actually the better translation. And I'm just going to walk through with little comment, right? Just not very much because I want to end with really an appeal to my singles as to how they can live best in the church. But we'll walk through it. So A is singleness is better. These last two states that Paul says it's good to be single, singleness is better for the betrothed, right? Why? First, he says, going through with marriage is good. Right? Even as he has always said, marriage is good, but being single in the case of securing undistracted devotion to Christ is better. So look in verse 36. If any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, again, you'll notice daughter is in, is in italics in the New American Standard, which means that word is not there. Right? The ESV says it this way. If any man thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, and I think that's the best understanding. Now, now, what would it mean he's not behaving properly? I think the idea here is, is he has realized he does not have the gift of singleness. That's why he got betrothed, and as they're getting closer to the marriage, he has great desire to be intimate with his betrothed. That's not wrong, and yet if he somehow backs out of this betrothal, he doesn't have that gift of singleness. He's going to be tremendously distracted, and he's going to be tremendously tempted. Right? So that, I think that's why this makes better sense for a man with his who betrothed to his to, to, his, to his virgin is instead of a father. Just, it makes little sense with a father and his daughter, right? this word unbecomingly. So I think the idea here is he's in this betrothal relationship. He's realized, yes, I need to follow through because my desire is to be married. It's to consu it is to consummate that one flesh union. And so Paul says, look, it is good to do that. Notice as he moves through. So if he thinks he's acting unbecomingly, that is, look, you know, his desire for her is strong and so he's going to need to be married. It also goes on to say, if she has passed her youth, that's what the New American Standard says, but the ESV translate that, translate that word, it's a unique word, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, which means that we then have to look into Greek manuscripts of the time, secular literature. It's not even used by the, those who translated the Septuagint, that is the Old Testament translation in Greek. It's that, this Greek word is not used there in the Old Testament at all, just here. So the NSV says, it translates the word as strong passion. NESB, past her youth, ESV, strong passion. I think, again, that fits better with the context, right? He's acting unbecomingly, or again, I think the idea is he would if he doesn't get married. She, uh, his passions towards her are strong and says what? And if it must be so, he doesn't have the gift of singleness, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Those are pretty much the same in both translations. Then let 
them marry. New American Standard, let her marry. But as I said, there's only one or two obscure manuscripts that use that form of the verb. All of the others are let them marry. And it really only makes sense if this is a man and in, a, in a betrothal relationship. Remember, that was similar to being engaged. Stronger, but still single, not yet married, and not having engaged in the one flesh union. The marriage is not consummated, right? That made it official. He's working his way that way. He has strong desires towards her. He realizes that the longer they're together in that relationship, that it is time to press on towards marriage. Paul says sweetly, that's good and right. Do that. Remember, he's been giving the benefits of singleness. That's the thrust of the passage. And yet, if this man desires to marry, if they desire to continue into marriage from this betrothal relationship, Paul says, that's good. Let him do what he wishes. Paul's such a shepherd. Again, in giving the principle, we've talked about this, he wants to be careful that no one makes an improper judgment if they choose to get married. Well, Paul said it's better to be single. Why do you choose to be married? You just must be you know, some out-of-control guy that doesn't know what to do with himself. No, Paul says, that's right and good. You're supposed to have a desire if you're going to be married. He doesn't have the gift of singleness. Paul says, do not judge that man. It is good and right. And he shouldn't be thinking, well, I'd be much more spiritual if I didn't get married. No, get married. If that's the desire and you are not gifted to be single, you should do that. So choosing to stay married, going through the marriage is good. However, Paul says, choosing to stay unmarried is better. Why? Again, because of his principle about singleness, that if he backs out of the betrothal relationship, that's going to be better for what? His undistracted devotion to Christ. Or if you're just jumping in on this as your first Sunday and you haven't been here for a while, you have to swim your way back through some of the things we've already been talking about. You're like, wow, I've just parachuted into the middle of a pretty difficult text. You have. But nonetheless, Paul says, look, if you work out, if you say, all right, I'm not going to go through with the betrothal, I'm going to stay single, Paul says that's actually better. So continue reading. In verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will. ESV says, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, and having his desire under control. And I think it's the best way to translate this, right? And has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed. That is the idea is he's not going to go through with the marriage. It says he will do well. And then in verse 38, it actually says he will do better. Right? So, but, but notice the strong words in verse 37. Stands firm in his heart, no constraint, authority over his own will. It's just not, even in the New American Standard, that does not sound like a father-daughter relationship. It's kind of strange. Right? It does sound like a man who is, should I get married? Well, his, his desire is firmly under control. He doesn't need to pursue that one flesh union. It's not going to unduly distract him. We talked about this when we talked about the gift of singleness. So he has this firm control over his own desire, so therefore he is qualified to step out of the relationship. He will not be unduly distracted by his desire for marriage, and so therefore he can and will have undistracted devotion to Christ. So Paul says, that's good. If you get married, it's good. But if he says, no, I have firm control. I don't need to press on into marriage. I am able to live life without that one flesh union. Paul says, that's good. And in fact, verse 38, he says, that's better because it will help you secure that undistracted devotion to Christ. Now, in verse 38 then, kind of summarizing this, so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage, that's the New American Standard, right? But in the ESV, it says, so he who marries his betrothed, that's the different use of the verb, to give in marriage or to be married, ESV takes it as to be married. He who marries his betrothed does well, he who does not marry 
he refrains from marriage will do better. That's the ESV. So both are good, and yet singleness, again, is better. So if he is betrothed, he's not yet married, stay as you are, don't get married, and secure that undistracted devotion to Christ. But if you get married, it's good. Do you see how, see how even-handed the Apostle Paul is? Do you see how the church would be so much more benefited if we were like this? Rather than grabbing hold of a principle and then judging everybody around us inappropriately on what they do when they've been given freedom. Paul says, look, do as you wish if you're engaged. Go ahead and get married. And yet, if you have the control not to do that, if God has given you that special gift, then don't. And both are to be delighted in by the church. And both then are to lead to as great a possible pursuit of Christ within the circumstances. So both are good. Now, that singleness is good for the betrothed, or better for the betrothed. But then he says singleness is better for the widow. Here's the final case that he brings. Now, he's already talked about widows before, so it's interesting that he brings it up here. Verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Now, he's already talked about widows, so why does he bring it up here again? When he talked about them in verse 10, he didn't talk about remarriage. And this would have been much on their minds, right? The idea of can you be remarried? When can you be remarried? So I think it's, he, again, as a, a godly shepherd, he's bringing it back up again to say, oh, I want you to know that if you enter into the widowed state and you want to be married, again, that's good. You are free to be remarried. So getting remarried if your spouse dies is good. You notice the parallelism. If you're betrothed and you want to get married, it's good, right? If your, if your spouse dies and you want to get married, good, you are allowed to do that. But here he deals with a specific issue of, is it okay to remarry? And he gives the, gen again, he gives the general principle of marriage. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. This is the general principle of marriage. Stay married. We talked about the exceptions, that there, when there's adultery in a relationship, that, there is, that the marriage can then be broken as a result of that, that if you are married to an unbeliever who wants to leave, that that's an exception for you. But those exceptions do not undo the rule, which is you are to stay married. That is what Christians do. And so he says it again. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Romans 7. Paul said this before. Or probably after this. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. This is just exactly what Jesus said. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, so she is joined to another man. Paul says, look, if, if your husband has died, and it would work the same way, if a wife has died, you are absolutely free to be remarried. Right? It's, it's an automatic ability to remarry. And he says this, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. You're free. Right? So if your spouse dies, you're, you're free to do that. And many will choose to do that. I have a good friend. Right? Married to a, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic and beautiful woman, for, and, and yet he was married for about 20 years, and she died of, of really it was juvenile onset arthritis, really that just got worse and worse, and she died about, about eight years ago. He chose to be remarried. He was free to do that, delighted in his first wife, they had a joyful relationship, and yet right, his desire was not to be alone for those last years, and so he remarried. Paul says, look, you may be remarried. You are free. And so that's a delight. But he does give one condition. And this is a really important condition. 
right? That is, you may, she can marry anyone she wants. By the way, if you didn't take that how to find the will of God class, I'll just give you a little bit of that here. Finding the will of God is not about finding the name of the spouse you're supposed to marry. I mean, I want to know who it is, right? God's got that one person for me. You've heard that teaching. I've got to be in the center of God's will. And so if I get any other woman other than, I've got to get the name, otherwise I'm out of God's will. What you will find in that class is you are free to marry who you want. What's God's will for your marriage? Find someone you want. Only, here's the one condition, in the Lord, they've got to be a Christian. And none of this, you know, the, the, the guy brings home this girl and, they're, you know, she's a beautiful girl and they're talking and the parents say, well, is, you know, she leaves and the parents say, well, is she a Christian? And he's all, I think so. What? I mean, it's not in the Lord, maybe. In the, if you don't know that for sure, don't bring her home. I don't bring him home. Don't, don't come to me as a, you know, as, a, as a pastor and say, oh, first thing I'm going to ask you, you know, does that person know the Lord? Are they walking with Christ? Man, I think so. Done. I'm immediately going to say, drop it, because you ought to know for sure this is someone who's passionately devoted to the Lord. That's who you need to marry. We'll talk about that. That's someone you think might know the Lord. Well, I'm figuring it out Why you're going out with them. Oh, you are going to end up in trouble. Only in the Lord may you be married. Someone who knows the Lord, loves the Lord, and is serving the Lord. But you're free. 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship is light with darkness? What harmony is Christ with Belial? What is a believer in common with an unbeliever? I mean, single-minded devotion to Christ, and you're going to marry an unbeliever? I mean, your whole home is divided then. Not only the concerns of marriage, but then you don't even agree on who to love and who to serve. Right? You're not going to be able to be devoted to Christ at that point. So he says, she may be married. But notice again what he says, back to the original principle in our text. He says, but in my opinion... And I'm not going to talk a lot about that. So again, if you're new this morning, opinion means the inspired, authoritative principle given by an apostle, his judgment on a certain matter. It's just not a command. It's not telling them they have to remain as they are. But notice what he says. In my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. This has been his principle all along the way. If you lose a husband or wife, it is often better to remain that way because then you have that single-minded devotion to Christ. Paul says, this is my opinion or my judgment. And then he ends with this strange statement, I think I also have the Spirit of God. What is he saying? I'm inspired. Right? What I'm writing to you is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not wondering if he is. And he is saying, look, I have the Spirit of God too, so listen, as, again, as opposed to or along with all the others who have written Holy Scripture. So, so listen to my principle. I also have the Spirit of God. He makes it very clear in this book right, that the Spirit of God is the one who is inspiring him or he is giving him the words. That's inspiration. Giving him the words of God to say, this is a principle from God that he is laying down. It's just that he's saying it's not a command. Right? I have the Spirit of God. This is my judgment that she's better. She's happier. She remains as she is. Why? Because she can now pursue undistracted devotion to Christ. All right, so those are the last two states. All right, singleness is better if you're betrothed. Singleness is better if you are widowed. And now we get to our final thought. I'm going to try to bring all this together. Right? In, in this final principle, singleness must be pursued wisely. Because the question then, I hope that my singles are asking, 
is all right. If it has benefits, if, if it is good, in fact, at times better to be single, then how do I deal with my currently single state? If I am unsure of that, if I don't know that I want to be single, if I'm trying to be married, what do I do? Now, married couples don't check out on me here because it is often you who are giving advice and counsel to my singles, and sometimes you give them really bad advice. Well, my grandmother said, this is how we entered into marriage. Whoa, don't, don't go there. Most cases, God was gracious to you to get you into marriage. Leave it there, all right? Use the Bible for the rest of the principles that the Lord would have. So don't counsel on the basis of your experience. Don't counsel on the basis of some pop psychologist you heard. We counsel on the basis of Scripture. So listen to me as I prayerfully bring godly counsel for my singles that you would encourage them in the same way. Now, there really are four. So this is, this is singleness must be pursued wisely. There are really four groups that we call single. I'm only going to address really three of them. But remember, the first group is those who are single and can't do anything about it. What am I talking about? Children. And I would say those up to high school. All right, you can battle me on that. We can get the swords out. You know, should you get married? Well, probably no one here is going to argue how to get married in high school. So I'll just kind of leave that there. If you are high school age or below, you're single, you're stuck, love the Lord, enjoy it, you can't get married. Okay, we're going to leave you there. All right, once you move past that, you start getting 18, 19, all right, come, come down to my biblical manhood and woman class with the youth group. I don't ignore issues of dating and things like that. But you can't be married. You're still in high school. Let's move on. All right, so that's the singles who can't do anything about it. Sorry. Then there are those who are single and haven't thought about it. You might think, what? Hey, when I was in 18 and 19, I, did, I was single, but I didn't think about it at all. I'm just doing ministry, going along in my life, not thinking about marriage. That's not a good place to be. I, I, had, I just was not processing well whether I was going to be married, stay Okay, so that's a, that's a second group. A third group is those who are single and are sure they want to remain single. It's a very small percentage of my singles. Right? You've already decided, look, I'm single, I'm staying that way, either to party and enjoy myself or to pursue Christ. It could be either one, but you, you're sure you're going to be single. By the way, that's not always the best place for you to be. You might have entered into that decision with poor principles. Right? We'll talk about that. Yeah, I'm sure I want to remain single, but not for good reasons. And then there's a, a last group, those who are single, oh, excuse me, that's really two more groups, those who are single and unsure if they want to remain single. Now, this is probably a relatively small group as well. Oftentimes, these are older singles who are trying to decide if they want to continue to pursue. They've pursued and pursued. It has not worked out, and they're like, ah, should I just stop and, and just pursue singleness and not think about marriage? And then the last group is those who are single and are sure they don't want to remain single. That's most of my singles, all right? For them, marriage is simply... It's what you do oftentimes, and they too have not necessarily fully considered the benefits of singleness. So I'm going to speak to three groups and offer a bit of encouragement in about the 16 minutes I have left. So put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Everybody listening carefully. First, encouragements for those who are single and are sure that they don't want to be married. Now, why is that a good state? Well, Paul's already said why. You can be concerned about the things of the Lord exclusively. You don't need to be concerned about what he calls the things of the world, that is the good things of spouse and family. That's a good place to be. If you're a single and you're like, I want to pursue Christ, I, am, I do not need to be married and I'm going to press on, great. Right? Paul said that's a great place to be. You don't have to worry about the difficulties and trials that come in light of how this will affect your spouse and children. It's a difficult world. You're pressing on single and you don't have to worry about what will happen to my kids. How will I care for my spouse? You don't have to take the time to pursue 
cultivate and consummate a one flesh relationship in marriage. If you're sure you're going to be single, you can set those things aside. All that aspect of what you might pursue now is set aside. All that time on relationship is now devoted to what? Pursuing Christ. So that's a great place to be. But there are some pitfalls. My I'm sure I'm going to be single forever group. Think about this. Have you taken the time to actually work through your desire for spouse and children? Or are you just ignoring them because you think you are maybe on the more spiritual course? Or because you just don't like marriage, right? You've seen bad, bad examples of marriage, but you haven't thought through carefully how you think about this. Think it through carefully. You're going to be bitter later. Think carefully. If you've made the decision, that may be a great thing, but you need to think it through carefully. Are you falling prey to spiritual pride because you have chosen the better course? Someone who has the true gift of singleness will be humble and gracious, loving being single. Right? Not battling some you know, reason why they are staying single and bitter and angry. Are you cold, harsh, or a strange person? And thus it's your ungodliness, unbecomingness, and lack of hospitality, lack of care for others that drives you to remain single? That's not a good reason to say I'm going to be single all my life. I just don't like people. It's not, not wise. Because you have to like people. You have to engage in relationship. Are you cold? Lazy, lacking in responsibility, driven by pleasure to the degree that marriage would require too much work or sacrifice in sharing your life with someone else, that's not a good reason to say I'm going to be single forever. It's too much work. No, no, because you're supposed to do lots of work in the church. Being lazy is not a good reason to say I'm going to be single forever. I'm not saying you are that. I'm only saying that's not a good reason if you are. Are you fearful and proud in a way that keeps you from risking the work and commitment that would come with a pursuit of marriage without a guarantee. You've seen bad marriages. You've seen maybe your parents' marriage end in disaster, and so you're like, I'm going to be single forever because I'm scared to death. That's not a good reason to be single forever because God works through marriages, and he strengthens and builds them. So, guys, just think carefully through that small percentage of you who are, look, I'm going to be single, just make sure that's for the purpose of undistracted devotion to Christ, not out of fear, anger, laziness, or bitterness. Think it through carefully. But if you decide to do that, praise the Lord, powerful work that you can do. Press on. Now, it's not saying that once you decide that, you couldn't ever decide to get married. Only that right now, that's your determination. Great. Pursue it and love it. Now, reasons not to remain single, right? I just want to have more fun, I'm too lazy, I don't want to change my selfish ways, right? I just want to be me. Right, that's, not the good, that's not the right reason. If you have the true gift of singleness, by the way, you should be at the forefront of ministry, constantly active, working in the lives of people. And if you're wrestling to do that, you need to talk to leaders in your life, to those who will counsel and shepherd you into ministry, right? the work that needs to be done in the lives of people in this local church. If you're wrestling with that, then you need to get involved because your singleness will turn to bitterness if you don't pursue the church. All right, second, encouragement for those who are single and unsure if they want to be married. So you're like, I haven't made the decision. Look, I'm just going to set aside marriage for now, pursue singleness. I don't know if I should do that, or I'm just, but I'm not super excited about marriage, so what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You passionately pursue a personal walk with Christ. You deepen in your love and devotion to him through spiritual discipline and devotion. That's the first thing you do. You don't retreat in loneliness and anger because you don't have a relationship or the church doesn't seem to be treating you well and not cultivate your personal spiritual walk. 
Right? So you need to do that. If you're going to be married at all, you need to have that strong, deep walk with God. Then you need to passionately pursue the work of the ministry through the local church. One another's evangelism, prayer, fellowship. You can stay out late, get up early, attend a variety of ministries, volunteer your time in unique ways. Do that. Press in. Right? Because you're, you're called to do that whether you're supposed to be married or not. So if you're unsure, don't drop ministry trying to figure it out. Press into the work of the church, not out of it, which is often what happens. You're lonely, maybe afraid, things haven't gone well, so you're just not sure what you should do. Press into the church, not away. That will help you make this decision. And then passionately pursue the work of ministry through the local church in the world. Witness at work, go on missions trips, care for the poor and needy with a gospel emphasis. You can travel anywhere. You can risk getting sick and banged up. You can be gone for months or weeks at a time. As you are underneath the authority of your church, they send you out. Go do a three-month missions trip. Go take some risks that you wouldn't take if you were married. See how those things work out and pursue the things of the Lord. And then as you do that, carefully gauge your internal desires. Do you still desire to be married? Is this desire easily turned away when you're active in the ministry? Do you deeply desire children? Are you strongly drawn towards the opposite sex? And in even more than, than simply you know, sexual ways. Right? So consider your success in handling lustful desires. Are you constantly in danger of failing? Now, remember, getting married is not a good solution if you are constantly failing. That's not the issue. But if you are wrestling with those desires, right, and, and they're strong for you and distracting for you in that way, then you should probably be working your way towards marriage. But don't be anxious about a relationship. Fix your hope on the Lord Jesus as you pursue his people. And then when your heart begins to direct as you wish, as you desire, your mind, will, affections, and conscience, as you desire to work towards marriage, you do. Or you're like, man, I love ministry. The more I get involved, I just want to do that. Great. Then pursue singleness. So if you're unsure, that's how you're working your way out. Now, if you cannot set aside a desire to pursue a relationship then take time to purposely put yourself in a position to either pursue a deeper relationship with someone, right? That's generally if you're, if you're a man, right? You're looking and you're putting yourself in a place where there are other singles that you could enter into a relationship with. Young men may not retreat. You're not supposed to hide in the basement. You're not supposed to go do all your own stuff and then, well, but I still want to pursue being married. No, put yourself in a place where there are people to marry in the church. And if you're a young woman, you're not called to be the one who says, you know, who call, asks the guy out or calls him up and say, hey, I'm ready for a relationship. So you put yourself in a position where it is obvious that you would desire a relationship. Now, the trouble with this is, is that we, what we judge each other for this. So we have a singles group and there's people in there that want to be married. And people well, why are you always coming to singles events expressing that you want to be married? Why not? This, this isn't just a meat market. Oh, well, it's not that. But you are not married. So there'll be those of you who joyfully delight in not being married. Just say that. I'm not pursuing marriage. I'm, I'm delighting in being single. But if you want to be married, great. It's just probably not to me. <laughs> That's how that works. Don't judge each other. Why are you here looking for a marriage? You, you ought to be. That's part of what you are. Not the whole thing. You're ministering and serving. Why does a woman, why does that woman always seem to be placing herself around where other men are? Because maybe she wants them to ask her out. And That's okay. She's supposed to. How, how else is she going to do that? So she's going to have to be with people. And then some young man is going to have to get up the courage to ask her out and not be so focused on himself and looking for the one beautiful woman that will waltz into his life, that will sweep him off his feet, instead of looking for a godly young woman that he can engage with. All right, that's my rant. 
back together. But it's real. You know it's real. And if you're my singles here, you know what I'm talking about. If, you're, if you are married now, you were in the scene. You know how that goes. If the relationship ends, so you pursue it. Consider the experience. Seek the Lord and see if you desire to pursue a relationship again. John Stott, faithful man of God, wrote tremendous theology books, was a single man all his life. But he, he didn't start only wanting to be single. He entered into some relationships. It didn't, it didn't work out. And after a couple of those, he thought, you know, I'm better off and delighted just to pursue my singleness. And he did, to tremendously good effect. So you might, you might, you might be, you need to be turned one way or the other. For now, I'm not going to pursue a relationship. I'm pursuing this single-minded devotion. Or you might say, no, as I've been unsure, now I'm sure. I want to pursue a relationship. That's the third group now, right, which is encouragements for those who are single and sure that they want to be married. Right? So what do you do then? Why is that a good state? Well, God has designed most people to be married. He who finds a wife or a husband finds a good thing. Wife and husband and children are a gift from the Lord. Families are the stable building block of society. Raising godly offspring is a joyful privilege. Marriage is a sanctifying and joyful relationship. That's a great place to be. If you want to be married, great. But you can't ignore all the rest of the things in the church you're supposed to be doing, and you can't then focus only on getting married, because if you do that, you're not really ready to be married. If you're only focusing on a marriage, then no one ought to marry you. If you're focusing on the church while you're looking to be married, then you're marriageable material. Do you hear me carefully? Only focused on marriage means you are a bad person to marry. Focused on the relationships in the church while also pursuing marriage, that's a relationship that should happen. So how are you spending your time, those of you who are sure you ought to be married? Are you passionately pursuing the work of ministry through the local church? Are you passionately pursuing personal holiness and godliness? Are you passionately and actively pursuing the work out into the world of the church as you press out into your workplaces and in missions and in all the ways that you can care for people? Are you working towards being able to support someone, right, in vocational work? Do you have schooling, a vocation? Are you developing your skills so that you can provide for someone in marriage? It's not always, I want to be married, but I don't want to provide. What is, what's that? Too many men that way. Marry me, I play video games. I mean, marry me, I hike, I hike, hike all the time. That's not going to support me. I mean, we might love, love hiking, but you're going to have to get a job. So you're going to need to support your spouse. So again, consider these things and don't be consumed with your relationships. Right? You, you aren't consumed with just finding someone. You're consumed with loving God, but you're looking carefully for someone that you might want to pursue. There's a fine line here. It's really difficult, isn't it? Singles, just nod your heads. Yes, it's really difficult. I get it. And yet, this line is, is to be pursued. Right? For young men, this means, if you're this young man or you, who, who is, I no, I'm single, but I'm convinced that the Lord would have me married. I don't have the gift of singleness. This means having grace and courage to pursue a relationship without being pushy or easily offended. Well, Chris said that I have to pursue a relationship, so you should go out with me. I did not say that. And do not use that against some poor young woman. She might look at you and go, no, not you. Chris didn't say I had to go out with you. He didn't. Yeah, well, don't you want to be married? Yes, but not to you. Please, that's perfectly acceptable. Just be gracious. Hey, you know, the woman, why do these men just come to these things just trying to ask me out? Why wouldn't they? Why does that bother you? Oh, I know why it bothers you. I'm going to be gracious here because it's not the guy you want. I get that, but other guys are going to ask you out. And maybe you ought to consider, well, I'm not getting the guy I want. 
So maybe I ought to consider developing an attraction towards this one because they seem to be interested and they love Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, zero emotional spark, just go walk up to someone and say, you, me, coffee. <laughs> now maybe you would do that to try to develop that spark, but consider someone, think about them. Are, are they godly? Do they love the Lord? Do they fit your parameters of absolute beauty? Probably not. And the girl's thinking the same thing about you. Do not fit my parameters of, you know, studly guy. Develop, build a, a spark as is possible around the things of the Lord and around the good characteristics that they have. It can be built. I'm not saying you enter into a marriage with zero spark. You're sitting and I'm counseling you and you're like, I, you know, yeah, she loves the Lord, but I don't like her very much. No, okay, we're done. <laughs> but you can build those things. If you're just waiting for love to overwhelm you, you're falling into love, it's like rolls over you like a boulder, that's not biblical love. Develop it. Cultivate it as you can. You might have to work a little harder at that. Young women the same. Young men, young women. I just want to be swept off my feet. You're probably going to end up in a bad marriage. Being swept off your feet, not carefully considering who that person is. All right, for a young woman, this means group opportunities, engaging conversation, friendship, being able to talk with guys and appreciate them. If you'd like to see a relationship go further, you demonstrate an interest in their lives or ministry. You don't have to be pushy to do that. He's kind of always showing up where they're at. Unfortunately, too many guys are totally clueless. You're showing up where they're at. They're like, why is she always here? <laughs> what, what's the matter with you? She's there because she's interested in you. I once told my son, I said, the, the woman that's going to marry you will show up at Dart Wars. That was true. <laughs> I mean, it's not another woman that wanted to do that. No one else would go and shoot dart guns. Again, that's not the litmus test. I get that. Maybe I should strike that from the record. But it did happen, and I did say it. The very fine line between righteously desiring to be married and making time to cultivate relationships which could lead to marriage and then using, and this is the differentiation, or using every relationship as an opportunity to try to pursue marriage. That you're not supposed to do. It's just this fine line of wanting to have one and yet not being overwhelmed by it. It's just difficult either way. All right, carefully consider how to change things. Now, now buckle on your seatbelts. This is my last minute or so. <laughs> consider how to change things which might be making you hard to marry. Sorry, this is going to be a little difficult, but that's the reality of how this goes, right? A lack of demonstrated passion for Christ and his church make it hard to marry you. And in fact, I would never counsel anyone to marry you. If you don't love the local church, this is the one you're in. So if you don't love this one, you shouldn't be married, period. I mean, hear me carefully. I would never encourage anyone to marry you if you don't love the local church you're in, you're going to harm that woman or harm that man because you don't love the church and that's your fundamental grounding point. The one thing you're asked to do. So if you don't do that, don't try to get married. You're going to hurt somebody. Develop and build a love for the church you're in, not the church you wish you had. This one. And then we will encourage people to marry you. You have a lack of fruit of the spirit. You don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why would anyone want to marry you? Because nobody does these perfectly. You can't go looking for the Lord Jesus. He's already taken. He has a bride who is not perfect. You can't look for Paul either. He didn't get married. He stayed as he was. And he's now in heaven. So you've got to find a young man who's wrestling a little and maybe struggling, a little rough around the edges, but he loves the church and he loves God and he repents when he sins. Well, that's a pretty good candidate. Same for the young lady. She might not have the perfect, you know, build that you want and all this stuff. She loves the church. She's kind and compassionate. She's got the fruit of the Spirit. 
I mean, that'll go a long way. That'll, that'll take you 50 years. That's a sweet thing. They have a lack of cultivated concern. You have a lack of cultivated concern for others. Why, would any, why should anyone marry you? When you're just interested in you. Carefully cultivated concern for others, not accidental. Laziness and lack of diligence in work or church. Why should someone marry you if you're lazy? In relationships, you're going to be lazy in marriage. Now, again, we all wrestle. So you're not looking for the per- you know, someone who's never, ever lazy, because then you couldn't. No one can marry you. But you should look for a young man or young woman, young woman who's diligent. A lack of hospitality. They're not interested in others or helping make others feel comfortable in their presence. Why would that make a good marriage? It wouldn't. They have excessive habitual consumption with media. This can happen to both guys and girls. How's that going to make a good marriage? You need to learn not to do that. Oh, that's really hard. They spend, you know, 20 hours a week on YouTube. You don't want to marry that guy or that girl. You're going to you're gonna have, you're gonna have to control that. Doesn't make, it's not good marriage ability if you're just constantly stuck on your phone and, you know, every other YouTube video you got to see. Binging every, you know, Hallmark thing that comes along. It's not a great way to get married. Someone who's constantly introspective is always thinking about themselves. Guys, you're going to have to get outside your own head if you want to be married well. Constant complaints, anxiety, self-pitying, full of excuses. Guys, share with one another. Encourage one another in your, in your things you wrestle with. I'm not saying that. But someone who's just constantly complaining about life, that does not make a good marriage partner. You need to trust the Lord. You need to be content in the Lord. Someone who is shy and retiring, unwilling to do the hard work of engaging with others, shy and retiring if it means you aren't engaged in gainful relationship, is called sin. There's no one who can sit in the back of the church and say, I'm just shy, so I don't talk to anybody. The Bible commands you to love. It's going to look a little different. Your personality's different. I get that. Right? But if you, if you don't learn how to engage, you're not being biblical. You're not loving. But maybe you're the one, you have a critical, demeaning, overbearing spirit. You need to back off a little bit. You just dominate everybody. That's not godly. Look at me. I'm just out there. Maybe you ought to be back a little bit. So this can go either way. Arrogance and boastfulness, focusing attention on yourself or your looks. See, guys tend to focus on what they do. Well, their hair, they tend to focus on that. But they tend to focus on what they do, whereas ladies tend to focus on what they look like. Either one of those. And over-attention to that doesn't make for a good marriage partner. Arrogant and unsubmissive, unwilling to respond to authority. How's that going to go? Ladies, you marry a guy who hates authority. He's going to abuse yours. He's going to abuse you. That is, he's going to abuse his authority over you. Guys, marry a young woman who hates authority. How's that going to go? It's not going to listen to you. It's a big deal. Strange personality quirks. You say weird things. You just do weird stuff. Guys, we're all different. We all, you know, we are, you know, we're a little strange maybe. But I mean, you've got things that people look at and go, I, I, I don't, what is that? <laughs> it's true. If this is you, work hard to change it. I don't just say weird stuff and go, well, people don't just say, love me for who I am. Why don't you think about them and learn how to engage with them and not, not do strange things that make it hard? Guys, please, you really need to hear that because it, it often happens where people just don't even want to be around you. They look at you and they would want to love you but it's so hard. I'm not saying you can't be loved. People will. They can crash through that. I got married so you know that someone did. <laughs> I am not kidding. So again, this works all different ways, but work to try to not be that. And I got 
Well, Lisa started going out with me, and my, my brother said, oh, we're so grateful. We didn't think he would ever get married. <laughs> can ask Elise about that. It's true. But nonetheless, please hear me in the, in the love that this is meant. I would like, if you are sure you ought to be married, I would like for you to be married. And I would like to help you do that. And these things are just loving. It's not being, being you know, eliminating strange behavior is hospitality, right? It's, it's having people be comfortable in your presence so that you can share with them. Okay, we need to, we need to be done. Um, two thoughts then for the married and for the single to kind of wrap this whole up. All up. If you are married, right, kind of wrapping this whole chapter up, are you joyful and content pursuing the concerns of spouse and family in a diligent biblical manner? You should be joyful and delighted to be doing that but are you also passionate and concerned about spiritual things, pursuing ministry in and through the local church with as much undistracted devotion as possible? Go home tonight and talk about that with your spouse. Are we doing this? Is our family sacrificing for the church, and yet are we loving each other well, taking care of the proper concerns? Talk about it so that you know. If you're not yet married, are you choosing to be content and joyful, not overly concerned with having a relationship, but carefully considering whether you desire to pursue marriage and then walking your way to a place of contentment, either pursuing or not? And are you content and joyful, maximizing your singleness in undistracted devotion to Christ through his church? Ask some of your friends about that. Have them weigh in. Ask someone older than you to weigh in on, how is this going in my life? Am I marriageable if you want to be married? Do I seem content and joyful if you're pursuing singleness exclusively? And get some help and counsel because the goal is that we together as a church would have undistracted devotion to Christ, that we would pursue him with reckless abandon, that it would be for us to live as Christ, to die as gain, whether we're single or married, children, adults, elderly, whoever it is. Paul is writing to secure undistracted devotion, and yet this is hard, isn't it? This is difficult to be single, difficult to be married. It all carries, they all carry their, their various difficulties. But Christ is sufficient for us to love each other well and to pursue this ministry together, single and married. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness in your word and by your spirit. And I pray that we would take hold of those things, single or married. Whether my singles would be content and joyful and yet that they would know how to pursue marriage if they desire that, how to pursue their staying single if they would desire that, or give them grace, give them joy, give them hope, help them not to be anxious or, or lonely or afraid, but might we as a church come around them, might they press and pour into the church so that we can help them in, in the state, in the single state in which they are, to serve you and love you well. Might we love our singles well. Father, help us also then as those who are married to, to love being married, to love the concerns that come with it and yet to balance them carefully with loving your church. Lord, help us, each one of us, to be pursuing this undistracted devotion that we might be a city on a hill or conducting our relationships in ways that the world cannot even remotely understand and that we would draw them like a moth to a flame, the joyful pursuit of singleness, the joyful pursuit of marriage, the loving of one another well in this body that we would reflect the worthiness of Jesus to a world that needs to see him clearly. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.